this has been as emotional and divisive a time as, 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 as could be imagined, you know. But these guys have stuck together, they've lifted. I, I, I think that's the, the big positive for me, that I know that, you know, we are actually family now and that we've got each other's back. I think that's, that's hugely important. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Collaborations are nothing new to hospitality. But when forced into survival mode, we've seen some incredible collaborations between the most unlikely of professionals. Having a point of difference has never been so important to operators, and nor has the sense of being an essential part of the local community too. Nick Smith is the co-owner of Rising Sun Workshop, a communal motorcycle workshop and restaurant in Sydney's Newtown. Nick, how are you going? Oh, really well, thanks, Anthony. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Now, Newtown is a pretty busy suburb and King Street is arguably Sydney's busiest road. You're just situa- situated off that. What's what's this period of time been like in, in Newtown? Oh, yeah. It's been hard to reconcile, to be honest. Um, you can go. You, I, I, I live in Erskineville, and I, so I walk or I, I ride my motorbike up to up to work each day, and I pass, you know, busy, really busy cafes and shops on the way up, and I up and uh, and I pass really busy bars and uh, on my way home at night. Um, then you get home, maybe you switch on the news, and uh, you kind of you've got this polar opposite this idea that well everyone's hunkered down and you know uh, uh and in their caves i i, I just found that it, yeah it was really kind of two speed i suppose in you in, in Utah. was there a period of time where was there a period of time where that area was really really quiet and like a ghost town oh a little a little um a little quieter, but never, never what I would describe as a ghost town. I think, um, not to say that Newtown's been irresponsible or anything like that, but um, and there's definitely been a change of mood and a change of climate, uh, a feeling in the air for sure. Uh, you know, particularly in the in the in, in the darkest of days, where you could see. You know, or you could feel the expression in people's eyes that that sort of tightened up a little bit. Um, more recently, I guess since 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 Victoria, with you know, we're only seeing half of people's faces a bit more. Um, so, yeah, for uh, there there has been a change, but by and large, I I feel like you know Newtown's been um, both sensible and kind of positive. Um, if that if that makes sense. Your restaurant is kind of a pivot from the traditional sense of a restaurant with the motorcycle workshop there. And um, how, how did you cope with the shutdown and what, what sort of changes did you make to the restaurant given yours was so different to a restaurant model in the first place? Yeah, it, um, it certainly, uh, I, I should say right off the bat, generally, I like to think that, you know, I give good counsel and that, you know, somewhere between... Uh, being logical and rational and having a half decent gut that I get things kind of right but I was uh, right back like in February where you know the northern hemisphere started to experience um, 
the the impact of COVID. I was I was I was adamant um, against you know against the probably yeah well, definitely against the better judgment of my business partners and friends and every, everyone and family that this thing was coming and that you know we were likely going to be closing down. I, you know, hands hands up. I, I was really wrong about it. I, I didn't think it would necessarily hit our shores the way it did, and it did. Um, so yeah, I was a, a bit of a deer in the headlights there for 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 a moment. But when when the sort of the announcements came, as a as a unit, the, I, I feel like Rising Sun Workshop. Everyone sort of just knew their place and knew exactly what we had to do, um, and we started working together, but individually as a kind of a, as part of a machine. Um, so we quickly transitioned. Um, I had been against, you know, um, doing takeaway food really and, and delivery food from the outset. It, it goes against kind of the reason, the re personally, the reasons that I'm in hospitality. Which is to you know be hospitable and to create a home and to create a place and yeah like as you touched on Rising Sun Workshop is different again because we're both a commercial enterprise and a social enterprise and so that sense of community and um, and position within the neighbourhood is really in our DNA and when we were told that we weren't allowed to entertain our guests but also the workshop operates as a as a as a communal hub somewhere where people can come for a bit of you know it, it, it's a service for sure we offer we offer space and tools and knowledge to share but it's also a place for, for people's mental health so that they can come and just do something other than whatever their nine to five is you know it's their outlet and that was difficult to uh to tell members that they couldn't just come and hang um you know, and, and sit and chat and have a coffee. That was that was particularly hard. Um, our food doesn't travel that well, ramen. Um, so I hadn't really ever kind of committed to doing it as a takeaway option or as a deliverable option, but it was clear there was no choice. So uh, we've done the best we can there. Um, and we... Uh, it, yeah, we look. We just pulled it together. Um, there were so many bits. Um, There's this idea that we're all in this together, but what 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 clearly what what became quickly apparent is that we're not really all this in this together. Some people were eligible for JobKeeper, others weren't eligible for anything. Certainly, a lot of the guys we've got on student visas we didn't know what we were supposed to do with them um but we couldn't let anyone go so we uh we had something up our sleeve we had we had a, a workforce that largely speaking uh could ride motorbikes um we didn't want to we didn't want to pay uh uh delivery or any of the other um Online services because I feel like the pr the price gouging is worthy of an, an episode all to itself. Um, so so we <laughs> we decided that we would uh, we'd mobilise our team um, and get them out and delivering. And so everyone kind of kept their jobs. Um, everyone was paid at the same rate that they were, as though they were still a bar manager or still a dishy or still a restaurant manager. Um, 
and we just sort of did it. What sort of pressures did that put on the viability of the business during that time? Um, it, a, a lot, <laughs> but um, we, we, it was interesting. I don't, you know, I, I actually, I think on one hand, I think the federal government has done a great job in um, kind of keeping keeping us under like a, a warm blanket. But if I could go back and sort of have a whisper to the Prime Minister at, when he stood up uh, at the lectern and said, you know, and announced JobKeeper and said, um, the money's going to start flowing. It's going to start flowing next week and, you know, everyone's going to you know, be paid. I, I, I perhaps would have asked him to tone down that rhetoric because what it did was, I think, for business owners, um, all eyes were then on us because it suggested that you would be in salary tomorrow or next week, you know, um, when in reality it, it was, I don't know how long, what, six weeks? And so even for a small a small to medium restaurant like ours, um, six weeks of payroll um, is more cash than we'll ever have, you know. So uh, we had to do, we had to pull out all stops. We took out, we took out bank loans and, you know, again, you know, the, the Prime Minister telling telling the public that he's told the banks to, you know, to uh, ex- expedite these loans and then you speak to your bank manager. They haven't heard of any such plan, you know. So, yeah, the pressures that that puts on you are, are immense. But we did it and every, uh, and I think uh, maybe, uh, I think I'm right in saying that everyone's still together as a business, as a family and uh, uh, that, that early horrible bit, we, we, we navigated really, really well. What sort of pressures were put on the food that you were sending out? How did you feel about the the product? I know you're a stickler for the attention to detail and serving it into the in the restaurant, but what was it like trying to do the takeaway food model? Did did it change what food you were sending out? Yeah, I, we, I basically overnight put a red pen through most of the menu, but it was also sensible. Like what people wanted was nourishment and. I don't think there's too much more nourishing, too, many things more nourishing than uh, than a big, you know, steaming pile of noodles, especially with winter coming on as it was. So we just adjusted it a bit. I don't think it was probably, you know, it, it, was it to restaurant standards? No, no, absolutely not. But um, but it um, it got the job done, and I and and, and people were either happy or. Uh, you know, politely, you know, we're we're grateful. Um, I think, <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, in, actually, since then we've put in um, the city of Sydney put out uh, offers for grants, um, and which we applied for, and um, th- with the idea, well, our our grant was to to take that idea of getting restaurant quality food in people's homes, and um, and so we won that. We've won that grant, and I've been spending the last little while figuring out how to how to get a restaurant quality meal delivered to you safely and at quality. So that's a good that that's been a good uh, distraction and something I think positive, you know, for us and positive from 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 a council point of view. Um, out of all of this, we've seen some pretty amazing collaborations between uh, different restaurants, and you've done them, like with people like from Butter and. Um, but one of the collaborations that you did was with a local artist. Can you can you tell us about that project? Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, I think it was probably over twelve months ago. Um, our neighbour and now mate 
um, Chris Pierce. Uh, he's a photojournalist. If you're, you know, if, if you follow the food industry, the restaurant industry, you've you have seen uh, Chris's work on the front covers of magazines and newspapers and what have you. He's a really gifted guy. He, um, I believe, yeah, he'd been approached by Apple. Um, they'd re- they were releasing. Um, their newest iPhone, whichever one that was, um, and asked him to do um, a series of works um, looking at restaurants, um, uh, looking at food as art. So, yeah, Chris spent last year um, or a part of last year going to some fantastic chefs and restaurants and um, we were lucky to be included in that list and he, and he put together a body of work and then one thing led to another um I think COVID happened uh, and Apple decided that they didn't want to exhibit the work anymore. It didn't, I guess it didn't work at the time for them to, in, to, to, to be showing works in public space. So it just sort of sat and I'd seen a lot of the work and I was really happy with the collaboration that I'd, the, the Rising Sun workshop and Chris had done on the piece that he shot for us or with us. And it just felt a bit of a disappointment. So um, when is it? Around August, we got to talking and I was just like, well, you know, we've got this, we've got this wall, um, big warehouse walls that are our, our restaurant on the outside. And although, you know, um, now's not the best time to be holding events, maybe we can have a socially distant art gallery outside where people can come and sort of casually um, view art and it, it, it felt really cathartic for me. I started to personally feel uh, with the rise and rise of warning signs and you know arrows pointing you this way, you know, stickers telling you to stand here, go there. I've, I've started to feel a little bit suffocated by all of this. Um, and yeah, Chris was all over it, and so we we, we quickly um, got the work printed uh, onto um, weatherproof posters, and we've just put it up with gaff, and it's been up there for over a month now, in all, all weather and rain. And I, I, I didn't think it'd last. You know what? I should say I, I, I was just commenting this morning to Chris. I saw him outside the shop. Just how impressed I am that the the youth of today haven't uh, haven't ripped it down or drawn dicks all over it you know it's, it, it's literally been it's untouched it's uh so yeah hats off to uh to to to, to newtown's youth you, you do you do well it does look extraordinary and um perhaps that's why they haven't done that it's 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 you know the really crisp white background and these really large amazing shots of food what's who are some of the restaurants that are involved Oh, it, it's it, it's an incredible list. Um, there's uh, Tetsuya's. There's uh, local guys like Continental Deli. Um, there's uh, Bella Bruta, um, Monopole, uh, Cirrus. Um, wow! Yeah, it's a pretty it, it's a, it's a it's a it's a pretty amazing body of work. I think. Um, Chris wanted to explore what he describes as the nexus between food and art, and I think he's done that really, really well. You mentioned how it made you feel being involved in this project um, at a time when you were feeling a bit 
um, pressured by all the signs everywhere and um, a lack of that sort of sense of community. How important has a sense of community been and uh, during this time? Oh, immeasurable. Um, you know, from the beginning, from the from from Sydney's hard lockdown, where we turned the shop into a general store, we we were kind of I think of the view that right, well, this could be it. Let's just flog everything. So we took all of the you know the the sushi rice and broke it down into little home size packets, and all of the eggs got broken down. The, the, we we had a bit of a stockpile of toilet paper, so that was hot for a while. Um, and we just sold these at kind of supermarket prices, you know. Um, also, the wine cellar that was we, we, we flogged all that off when the, when, when Olga, or uh, yeah, when Olga uh, said that on, on licenses could operate as off licenses, um, which has been I think a massive saviour for a lot of uh, probably inner city restaurants to be allowed to do that. And you know, the world hasn't gone up in flames um, by doing that. So I'm really hopeful that maybe we can see that last a bit longer. Um, so, yeah, when uh, when we did that, talking, sorry, harking back to that your question, the sense of community, we had people coming in and buying hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of wine that they and beer that they didn't need or want but they just wanted to show support like wow we we print t-shirts for sale and we usually sell you know one now one then they were all sold out so yeah we we are we, we issued gift cards and they just flew out the door there was a real a real solidarity from our community um they um yeah, they. Uh, it, I, I found it heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. Um, just the amount of what do you call it? Goodwill, charity. Um, yeah, it was it, 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 it was remarkable. How did Rising Sun Worship Workshop start? I know that you wanted to create something with a real sense of community where people can gather and and a place for people to help with their mental health, as well as a, an amazing restaurant. Where, where did it all start? Yeah, it um, it started. It was actually my business partners, Adrian and Dan, our brother-in-laws, um, married to my other business partners, um, who were who were sisters. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and then there's me. Um, uh, so Dan and Adrian have been kicking around an idea to kind of combine some of their their personal loves. Um, initially it was going to be sorry I should I should say Dan and I met working for single origin roasters so we're both kind of hospo um, in one way or another and Adrian is a uh, more a country guy who came to the city and is now uh, corporate um, so initially it was going to be a, a, a cafe that had live music um, but they they quickly sort of the, the penny drop that musos don't have any money, so that wasn't going to work. Um, <laughs> and then um, I, they were both right into bikes, uh, motor, motorcycles. And so that that love um, of, of tinkering and also the fact that Adrian had moved from the country to the city. And in the country, I guess, people are more hands-on. They know how to change a tyre. And when he moved to the city, he, um, he found that... Um, there wasn't space or know-how amongst 
amongst people. So he, had, he was kind of forced to go to a, a mechanic and pay a mechanic. So that was the nucleus of the idea. Um, the, um, and then they approached me. Um, I'd had a background. Well, I started in stockbroking actually for the first 10 years of my life, um, but became a bit disillusioned wow. with that. Um, I had a bit of a moral dilemma there and also just overly stressed about too much at too young an age. So I kind of only got into hospo in my late 20s, I guess. Um, um, but yeah, they asked me if I would like to kind of invest and become a, a part of this idea, which was, you know, only an idea. Uh, they were just in the midst of a, a crowdfunding campaign back in 2004. 14, 13, 14. Um, and so I jumped in at that point um, and started to kind of build the idea of what Rising Sun Workshop might be. For me, the interest was that it was it, the work that I'd done with, um, with, with Single O had been uh, in the early days uh, was kind of some of the first um, ideas of organic certification and fair trade certification and looking a bit deeper and those sort of ideas of community were kind of born there. Um, I've always felt that restaurants can be more than just a, well, they need to be more than just a place that sells um, sells food and beverage that, you know, that we need to be agents for change, whether that's, uh, you know, political or social. Um, uh, my, you know, soft education of people that, uh, we, we we can be specialists in an area, and and that our customers can kind of benefit from that. With with that sense of community that you built with the shop, um, how how will that transfer moving forward? Do you think what do you think that what you offer is going to change through COVID? It has done. I think COVID offered an opportunity for change um, that maybe the restaurant was seeking or or, or needing. Um, when restrictions started to lift a little bit and dining became a bit of an option, um, we uh, we kind of brought the takeaway menu. All what I did was just move the takeaway menu into dining menu and not much really changed. And then every time I tried to kind of expand on it, you know, you'd be like, we'd take two steps forward, three steps back, whether that would be, you know, there'd be another flare up in numbers and so, oh, no, things are going to be, you know, you're going to go... We're either going to shut it down again, or we had a um, we had a uh, a call from um, New South Wales Health to say that one of our staff members had been uh, in contact with a case positive, and so we took the step to shut the restaurant down again. Um, that was another experience. <laughs> uh, we um, we didn't know what to do, and I thought, and and, and we kind of we thought that okay, so. We've, we don't have any positive cases, but what if what if we do? Let's just close. That's the sensible, safest thing to do. Let's all go and get tested. And so we we went off, or we went home, I guess, and then went to um, went to RPA. We didn't arrange to all go to RPA, but that's the, that was the closest one for so many of us because we were all kind of local. Um, and it was just a miserable grey night. Um, and I remember, you know, everyone's in their face masks, everyone's in their puffy jackets, everyone is standing a metre and a half apart on their things. And I, it's all incredibly grim at the back of RPA there. 
uh, and grey. And I looked over, and there's this security guard, and he was he was he was kind of like desperately fiddling with his um, his gas heater because he was obviously going to be sitting there for the night in the freezing cold. And he had this kind of like tired look in his eye, and it really felt like I'd been transported into this dystopian future of you know just like the day after, like and it was so grim. And every every so often, the the nurses or the doctors would you know say you know next and everyone would sort of shuffle forward a few steps to the next spot and I was and I was like really felt like this sort of most out-of-body thing like what is this it's incredible and then uh I got called down to hand in some papers and then walking past the all of the other people who were lined up it was um, I think it was a bit of a spike in testing the when this happened to us and I got down there and someone recognised my eyes and I was like, hey. And, like, and then before I knew it, like, every, like there was like six or eight of us who were all from Rising Sun Workshop all going, hey. and, like, and we all had a bit of a laugh and the, and, the, and, the, and the doctors and nurses had a bit of a laugh and like, you know, we always say we should see each other out of work more. Um, so there was that. <laughs> there was that. And, uh, but that, that we, we thought we'd, I, I thought we'd get our results back, you know, 24 hours or something. And we'd be back at work, but I guess because of the spike and because we'd chosen to go to the, probably the busiest testing clinic in the in the, in the city and uh, and whatever, we didn't end up we ended up closing for another four days. And so this kind of, but we did uh, I think a fantastic job on messaging and we we through social media we sort of explained every day step by step what was what was happening. And I, when we did reopen the the community. Uh, at least the restaurant community were all sort of giving us props, you know, for the way we handled it. But that was another thing. But yeah, certainly it, it, the the road back to offering um, to our offering has been slow, but we're getting there. We we started uh, rather than a la carte, took the idea that we should uh, offer a set menu, which is just kind of like the way I like to eat when I travel, especially when I travel overseas. If a place is offering a, a set and only a set, I always find that that's, um, that's a pretty good sign that I'm going to get looked after because, you know, I think it, it means that the chefs are focused on a, you know, a limit, like a, a finite number of dishes that they can, they, they, they feel confident in, that they're going to execute well. Obviously the cost of, uh, of getting that produce in and is... Uh, is better because you know you know you know you know this is what you're serving um so we've done that uh, now just just now we're going to offer a bar menu as well so you'll, you'll be able to have you'll be able to in, in in an effort to kind of get back to normal but still keeping this idea that i probably wouldn't have been brave enough to just to offer a set a, a set menu pre-covid so that's um, that's been good. We've asked people to prepay because I think that's something that will also help the industry. Um, you do it for everything else. You buy your movie ticket, you buy your ticket to the to the to the footy beforehand. So why not buy your ticket to the to the restaurant? What have you learned about yourself and the industry during this period? Well, the industry first, I guess, uh, around me. I mean, but I knew this before. Um, particularly, I think I think Newtown's exceptional um, in that we don't see each other as competition. We we are uh, there, there, there's a real fraternity, sorority. I don't know what the non-gender neutral word is there. Um, 
in Newtown. Like we we don't we we would rather collaborate than you know than than than, than be in competition with one another. So that that remains and is probably as strong or stronger than ever. Um, about myself, oh, I I mean I I have very particular definition of what I think good hospitality is and what a good restaurant or bar or cafe should be um, and the pandemic has kind of you know nipped at the at the seams of that a little bit but it, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just as resolved that that's where we need to get back to I don't want to see um, the the, the food and beverage industry reduced to this kind of dispensary of, uh, of consumables. Um, the sanitization of everything um, is sort of, it's what I've kind of been working against for my whole short career, you know? Um, so, yeah, we're, I, I'm, 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 I'm learning that that's been kind of, you know that uh, finding that resolve that like, to 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 be in def I'm I'm a little bit defiant of uh, of the changes that are being forced on us at the moment, but I, I understand that they are for a for a short time, perhaps. But I'm determined to make it for a short time. During this experience, you've had some pretty crazy times. Has, has there been some positives to come out of it for you? Yeah, there has. I think. Um, not that I didn't know it before, but I know now the the team that we have um, at the restaurant at the workshop are they're made of special stuff. You know, this has been as emotional and uh, um, and uh, I guess divisive a time as, 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 as could be imagined you know but these guys have stuck together they've like they, they, they've, they've lifted um, it's I, I, I think that's the, the big positive for me that I know that you know we are actually family now um, and that we've got each other's back I think that's that's hugely important um, that's industry wise and then I, I mean you hear this a lot like people want people realized the uh, the importance of home and that it's not all work and I, I you know we my wife and I and son we've, we've we've had a bit of that but we've also had to just keep working on through it but I have learnt um, that I need to make space for home and that there's um, there's something uh, there's something very precious I need to kind of understand there that I can't just uh, I can't. I can't. I can't marginalise um, my my domestic life. The, the the protecting the protecting my business can't come at the expense of uh, of my home. And that um, that we did get a little bit of time together at home, but and, and yeah, there'd be really cherished moments, you know, of just that that sense of time and space that you, I don't know. I haven't had much of for the last however many years, five years or so. You mentioned how special the local industry is around you and how collaborative and supportive all the restaurants are of each other and how the collaboration with Christopher Pierce made you feel 
on the outside walls of your restaurant. Do you see that sort of connection with the art and the restaurant continuing on the walls of the building beyond this um, project? Yeah, I hope so. I, I hope so. Um, we're um, we're soon to begin works on an artistic mural for the outside, which I'm really excited about, but can't talk much about. And then that's on the outside, and then on the inside, um, yeah, I, I, absolutely. We we have this. Uh, you know, rare space where we've got it, it, our building's an old um, uh, late nineteenth-century warehouse um, with very large, very high ceilings, very large um, exposed brick, um, and it just it, and it and it really does lend itself to um, to display. So, yeah, one hundred percent. That's something that we'll be um, continuing to to champion. When we get through this period, what what are you most looking forward to for the industry? Oh, street parties and uh, <laughs> and uh, collaboratives, co- collaborations on on, on on massive scales, and I don't know, maybe getting ahead of myself. Like, but yeah, I I I, I haven't really thought about that, but the, uh, for a while. But I imagined right back at the beginning naively that when this when this thing's over, you know, in a few weeks. Um, <laughs> That we'll have the, you know, when they remember when the when the when you couldn't go into the pubs and it was just a just the idea was abhorrent. And I, but I, 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 the 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 number of times I daydreamed about my return to the pub, I had it all <laughs> I had it all kind of pictured, you know, in my mind. It'd be you know the afternoon sun coming through like a like filtered light coming in through the side. There'd be I wouldn't be interested in in the footy that was going on, but it was important that there was a game of footy <laughs> and that there was a crowd of a, a crowd of locals kind of going yeah whatever team it was it didn't matter that wasn't important to the daydream but I just wanted that so much and and now we can go to pubs and I never got quite that I didn't get anything like that beautiful moment but I yeah I just that that sense that every like that we can all be together and um is what I'm I'm most looking forward to um and yeah I really hope that handshakes aren't dead and uh that people still embrace and you know kiss each other but surely Surely we haven't killed off that. Well, I hope not, mate. Um, it's always great to catch up. What an uh, amazing story and, and what an incredible uh, offering you have for the community there in Newtown. Um, keep in touch and we're so honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds today. Uh, thanks, man. I'm really honoured to be on. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>